Okay. Man, it's a beautiful hot day. Fantastic. Well, you know, we see the beauty of God's world and we rejoice and we praise God in that. But at the same time, we don't have to look far to see evil and suffering in this world. Pain and sickness and conflict and toil are a part of life. And so we wonder why. Why is there injustice and suffering and sickness and death? And often our sinful tendency may be to respond like Adam and Eve, if you recall last week. God had come to Adam and Eve and in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 to 13 says, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Kind of reminded me of a Calvin and Hobbes comic. And Calvin and Hobbes, they were sitting there enjoying the beautiful weather. And Hobbes asked him, uh, Calvin, do you believe in God? And so Calvin thought for a moment and he replied, Well, somebody is out to get me. <laughs> and we chuckle. But, uh, you know, often that we do look at the hardships of life. And we may blame the Lord for the evil and suffering that we face. And so, in contrast to the way that we might naturally respond, Genesis 3 comes with the message from God and is brutally honest about the reality of sin and suffering. And we talked last week about sin about how the Bible places the responsibility for sin, for disobeying God, loving someone other than God, worshiping someone other than the Creator who made the heavens and the earth. And the Bible places the responsibility for sin squarely on our shoulders. And as... Creation was placed under man's dominion. All of creation suffers the consequences of sin along with us. Now God in His holy love, He doesn't destroy mankind in our passage, so we can rejoice in that we're here today. But He could have justly done so. And God in His holy justice does deal with sin as a serious matter in Genesis chapter 3. God sets forth consequences for sin while providing for mankind a... Golly, I lost my spot, but provided a way of redemption. A way for man to be restored to fellowship with Him. 
as that fellowship was broken. Following the first sin, God introduces the curse of sin and the covering for sin. And you know, we're faced today and every day with weaknesses and sin, maybe of our own, and and sometimes it's of others that have hurt us and have wronged us. But the blessing in the curse is that in the midst of the hardness of life, we are drawn to the sweetness of God's grace. God pronounces judgment because Adam and Eve have sinned. They've rebelled against Him. But in His wrath, He remembers mercy. So if you would turn to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 14. Genesis 3, verse 14. And against the backdrop of our sin, God declares a series of oracles, judgments. Each of these judgments declares something about what life will be like for the serpent and the woman and the man, Adam. Something about what life will be like as a result. Woo! Vapor going away of Adam's sin. Something about what life will be like with the continued presence of evil in our own hearts, in the hearts of humanity. Something about the consequences of what life will be like in a fallen world. First, God curses the serpent. That's what we're going to read in verse 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, tempting Eve, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We'll stop there. The serpent is humble, brought low, literally. The crawling on the belly and the eating of the dust is a reminder that the snake will forever be a symbol of the humiliation of the proud. And God's judgment on the serpent brings the promise of enmity or war between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. We experience that conflict today in this world, both in a spiritual sense, as Ephesians talks about a war against principalities and powers, but also in the sense of those that follow the ways of their father, the devil, as Jesus spoke of the Pharisees and those who follow the way of God. There is conflict and enmity between wickedness and 
those who follow the Lord. But in the very next breath that God has spoken of enmity and war, God gives the assurance that murder and deceit will not win the day. The serpent's head will be crushed crushed at great cost. And so here we find the first hint of blessing in the midst of the curse. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Then God addresses the woman in verse 16. And to the woman He said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. So the woman will experience pain in childbirth. The birth of every human being is a, is a reminder in many ways of the consequences of sin and the pain that is experienced. And yet, in the midst of that, there is the great blessing of children. This blessing in the midst of the hard consequences of sin. Adam and Eve will still be able to fulfill their calling to rule or to fill and to rule the earth. Yet it shall be through hardship and trouble. And there's blessing in the midst of the curse. Well, the the first consequence is pain, pain in childbirth. And the second consequence for the woman is that she will experience frustrated desires as a result of sin. Verse 16, Your desire shall be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, this phrase is somewhat difficult to interpret. What is it? It's kind of vague. Your your desire shall be for your husband. In what sense do we take that? But it seems that given God's words to the woman and later to the man, for he says, because you listened, verse 17, to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, cursed is the ground. And so God seems to be addressing their, the reversal that took place in Eve taking the place of Adam and Adam taking the place of Eve. And so, in effect, we, we see God addressing Eve's part in leading her husband to sin. God is speaking directly to, um, to Eve's part and her sin, just as He spoke to the serpent and his sin and his pride and the, the lies and his temptation. So God speaks directly to the woman here and her sinful desire to take the role of her husband as she took that fruit 
and followed her own desires, God says it will now be thwarted or hindered by man's sinful tendency to dominate. Now the word here, rule over you, doesn't have a very nice connotation. Actually, it's, it's a little different than some of the other terms that are used to describe the man's role. When God says he will rule over you, he's not saying that, you know, the male dominating and cre- treating his wife as a doormat is a kind of a good thing. But he is explaining the consequences, the result of this breaking of the marital relationship, this reversal of the roles of man and women will result in conflict and sin having entered into that relationship. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 31, we see God's intent for redeemed humanity. And I think it's important to remember that as we think about the brokenness we see in so many marriages. There, in Christ, husbands are called to loving, sacrificial leadership. And wives are called to joyful submission. But here in Genesis 3, God has declared that as a result of her sin, the woman's desire for her husband will be frustrated. The marital relationship will become difficult. For man and woman have stepped outside of the boundaries and rules that God has created. And this will only continue to spiral into more and more conflict and pain and heartache in human relationships, in a marriage relationship. So pain in childbirth and frustrated desires in a broken relationship between man and wife are a part of the results of sin and what it means to live in the world today apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God then addresses Adam and holds Adam responsible for his sin. And to Adam, he said, verse 17, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. But By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So first, the ground is cursed. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, that creation was subjected to futility. And later on, that creation is in bondage to corruption. We see that this world, it's running down. 
Things are decaying. There are thorns and thistles and hardships in this life. And as beautiful as this world is, it's a dangerous world that we live in. As a result of this curse upon the earth, man's rule over the earth is frustrated. It's a little bit harder to farm now than it was in the Garden of Eden. And that's a good thing in many ways. It's not a good thing, but it is a good thing because it teaches us to rely on the Lord. Now toil and sweat are man's lot in life. The thorns and thistles make work painful. And no matter what we may do to lessen the pain of work, it's still hard. It's still hard in different ways for the folks in the nice air-conditioned office sitting at a desk. You can't cover that up with fancy suits and high-class living because life is hard for all of us. Work is difficult. And the final consequence is death. There's no escaping the dust reading Ecclesiastes and it can be a little depressing until you get to the end but it speaks much truth about the life that we live today and one of those truths in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 20 is that all go to one place all are from the dust and to dust they shall return death is a reality for life as a result of man's sin. And the death that we face in returning to the dust is but a reminder ultimately of a greater death that is separation from the life that is in God. So according to God's decree here to the serpent and to the woman to the man, enmity and pain and conflict and toil and death are the consequences of sin. Yet in His justice, God displays His mercy. And I say this because all of the consequences of sin frustrate our desires, making life hard these consequences that god has put in place the curse may seem hard it may seem cruel even but as the story of joseph reminds us what people mean for evil god intends for good Suffering and hardship, whether as a result of living in a fallen world or as a result of the sin of others or our own sin, brings us to a place of desperate need. And God provides a way of salvation in the midst of a fallen world. Along with the curse for sin, God provides the covering for sin. 
read verses 20 and 21. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Adam named his wife Eve. You know that the name Eve means life giver. You know, honestly, I would have thought he would have said death bringer at this point. But that's not what he says. And it's, I think it's significant. See, in the midst of God's judgment, God has proclaimed a promise. He proclaimed a promise in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. It means that Eve would bring forth life through childbearing in this pain-filled world. And there would be a redemption. There would be justice for the serpent would be crushed. And Adam, I believe, in naming his wife Eve, is demonstrating that he believed God's Word. That he had some measure of faith in the name that he give, gave to Eve. When we think about all the consequences of life, it is faith in God's promises that enables us to face them. That enables us to trust in the Lord. Now following Adam's sign of faith, God covers Adam and Eve with garments made of skin. And commentators debate a little bit, a lot, about whether God was foreshadowing the atoning sacrifice of Christ. I would warrant that's probably what most of you have heard in, in preaching. I'll be honest, it's hard to say that it's for a sure thing in the sense that the Bible doesn't give you a verse saying that this was foreshadowing that. But there is much in the Bible that is a shadow of the reality to come. And we t read about that in the book of Hebrews. So where the author of Hebrews tells us that these things are a shadow or a type of that which is the reality in Christ. And so I do believe that we should see in this God demonstrating His grace by providing a covering for Adam and Eve's guilt and shame. You know, what they could not do, remember those fig leaves? What they could not do, God Himself did because of His mercy. And in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of this in that Christ took the filth of our sin so that we could wear His righteousness. And that is awesome to know, to have that hope. 
that the blood of Jesus Christ would wash away every sin and cover us. Cover our unrighteousness. Exchange those filthy rags with His perfect blood. His perfect righteousness. But that's not the end of the story. In order to display God's perfect righteousness, there is a final consequence for sin, isn't there? And we read about that after God has provided this covering. The Lord God said, verse 22, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. No longer could man dwell in the garden of God. Separated now from that life which they had had with God. Kept out by flaming sword. With no way, for it turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There is no way for mankind to make their way, their own way back to Eden. We cannot save ourselves. And on that day, God's justice appears to have the final word. And it will in, in a different way, but... That's confusing to say that. But anyway, we'll forget about that. My recording's not working, so I can say whatever I want. But um, God's justice and His mercy will both have their final say. But it's not God's justice alone. That's the point here. And yet God will not ignore evil. And that's the wonderful encouragement in the midst of all of this pain and toil and the struggle that we face as a result of sin is that evil will be dealt with. God dealt with it in the garden and He continues to deal with it until that final day. And yet in the midst of God's judgment here, God's promise of deliverance Adam's declaration of faith and God's demonstration of mercy set the tone for God's plan of redemption that we see unfold throughout all of the scriptures even to this very day the fact that God has brought each one of us here And people will continue to, to blame God for evil 
and suffering. We'll continue to ask, how can a good God allow that? And we, I certainly have wrestled with these questions. But the truth of the matter is that God is so good that He's willing to allow great pain and suffering because there's something much worse than pain, worse than toil, worse even than death of the body. And that is that we would, God desires that we would turn from the path of sin and be saved forever from hell. You know that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, what should you do with it? Well, He says it would be better to pull it out, to gouge it out, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he says it again. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, well, what should you do? Or what would be better? It would be better to cut it off so that you would not sin against the Lord and His perfect righteousness than to be thrown with your whole body into, into hell. Do we think of sin in those terms? Do we see it as that serious? Really? Would you rather, like if you had a choice, say, eh? would you cut off all your limbs? Not that that's a way that we can escape it, but it points out how serious this is that we would face the wrath of God on Judgment Day. all the evil and suffering that we see in this world as a result of our sin. But God in His mercy allows pain and suffering and thorns and thistles, even at times sends it our way, that we might turn to Him from the path of sin, the path to destruction. Sometimes those thorns and thistles, they're a good thing. In fact, all the time they're a good thing because they point us to our need for a Savior. They point us to our need for a Redeemer. They point out our sin. And how great our sin is that we might turn to a God who is full of mercy, rich in mercy. So that we would trust in His promise of deliverance. Like Adam, that we would place our faith in Christ and receive the gracious gift of salvation. The blessing of the curse is that God in His wrath remembers mercy when what we deserve 
is death. Sin was serious. Sin is serious. Serious enough that God removed His blessing upon the entire earth. But along with the curse, God provides a covering. A covering for sin so that we might be saved from the wrath to come. So when you think about the consequences of sin, you, when you think about what life is like living in a fallen world. Let's remember the grace of God in the midst of that. That it even is His grace that He would allow these things so that we might turn to Him and have an opportunity to repent and believe in Him. That even what God, a people mean for evil, and they do and we do, God intends for good. Can we see the blessing and the curse today? I hope that we can. I hope that we can see a God who is rich in mercy. Let's pray. Our God and Father, just thank You for, for the way in which You have perfectly worked in this world according to Your justice, which is perfect, and according to Your mercy, which also is perfect and pure. And we thank You that we can see Your goodness in the midst of a fallen world. And Lord, to unravel and unpack all of these things and to understand what is, how are You not held responsible for sin, for evil and suffering, and yet You allow these troubles in our lives, we we sometimes fall short of, of, a, of an answer. But we thank You that Your Word does teach us of these things and that we can say that You are good in all things. That You are righteous in all Your ways. And Lord, none of us can say that we are righteous of our own selves or that we are pure or holy, but we thank You that through Jesus Christ we can say that we are righteous in Your sight. Justified. Brought into Your family again. And as we face life's troubles, we can turn to You who knows our every weakness and who is able to one day, and we look forward to that day, deliver us completely. We look forward to that. And we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Probably a song left.